We're going to be looking today at, um, at the, our spiritual inheritance, and uh, this is, uh, I want to read to you today a particularly uh, a very familiar scripture. I know you'll know this. Um, this is one you've probably heard many times, uh, particularly probably and during, uh, at, at uh, funerals. Uh, John chapter 14, uh, where Jesus is, uh, uh, let, let me give you a little bit of a setup for this here. Uh, Jesus in chapter 13, he has just had the Passover meal with his disciples, the Last Supper. And so he's already told them that he's going to be betrayed. And uh, it's going to be one of them that's going to do it. He's told them he's going to be crucified. And they're all pretty down right now. They're pretty discouraged in chapter 14 because they just learned this man who they've been with for the last three and a half years, they're going to, he's, things are going to turn south and uh, the leaders are going to uh, uh, put him in jail or they're going to torture him, they're going to crucify him. And so he's trying to encourage them. And this is what he says. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. And if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And I'll take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Hey, that has given comfort to Christians uh, ever since Jesus left. Uh, and it's going to bring comfort to us today as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you so very, very much for this word. Thank you for your word that just is such a strength to our souls. It brings such light, Lord, to our understanding. Because without it, Lord, we would be floundering. We would be hopeless. We would, uh, we would not know which way to turn. But, Lord, with your word, it truly does guide us. It truly, uh, you do too, truly give us a light to live in. A truth and understanding that we can we can walk in the light as you're in the light. You, we can follow your truth, Lord, as you guide us with your truth. And Lord, this is a, you have a, a word for us for every need we have in our life. Lord, you're, you're there for us when we're discouraged. You're there for us when we need guidance in our marriage. You're there for us, Lord, when we need guidance for our children. You're there for us when we need help in our finances, Lord. You're there for us when, we, when uh, we're, uh, we're having trouble, uh, conflicts with other people and how to settle them. You're there for us in every situation. You're there for us, Lord, when, in, in sickness and in all kinds of trouble. And Father, as we even consider... Uh, our own mortality and, and facing the end of our life and uh, the uncertainty of this life. We thank you that you even have an answer for us there. Well, Lord, we once again want to tell you, Father, in our hearts that we know that Jesus isn't the best answer to our life. He's the only answer that works. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I just noticed, Arlene, good to see you today, here today too. So, and, uh, Keep praying for Charlie as life is changing for them as well. Have you ever stopped to think about uh, how wonderful, I know you have, but sometimes we need to do it more often, at least I do, how wonderful and precious a treasure we have on earth of Jesus Christ, of having him in our life, of having the knowledge of his salvation, of knowing that you're forgiven, and knowing that 
He has redeemed you. And the more you understand the Word of God, the more you know what He has done in your life, then you can, you can add things like this, like, like, like this, that, that He has His Holy Spirit, that He actually abides within you, and that, that He's a guarantee for the, the, uh, all the promises that God has given you for the future. I tell you, have you ever just stopped again to just uh, praise the Lord uh, for how wonderful and precious a treasure his salvation is? You know, a lot of times, uh, all of us do this, we're attracted to items that are on sale, you know. Um, I love those things when you buy one, get one free, especially when it's medications or something or supplements like vitamins and things like that. It's great. Uh, you just, you feel like you're getting a real deal. And I don't know if they've reduced the price or what, or they've increased it or however they do it. But, but we know they're making a profit nonetheless, but we feel like we've got a treasure. Um, we, we like to find treasures that are really good deals. I mean, they might even cost us a pretty sum at first. We think, this is really a good deal. It's going to cost me extra, but in the long run, it's going to matter. It's going to, it's going to really count, you know. And uh, we've done that a lot of times. I'm sure you have too. Well, Jesus illustrates this uh, for us, the wisdom of recognizing the, uh, the value, the ultimate value of our salvation in his kingdom. And, um, and by... He compares it, actually. He tries to show us this by showing us the uh, comparison with how people act when they discover really a valuable earthly treasure. And there's a couple places in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46, where Jesus, first of all, he speaks about this, this uh, man who is in a field, and I don't know what he's doing in the field, but he discovers a treasure. There's a hidden treasure. It's in the ground. He sees it there. I don't, he, he has uncovered it in some way. I don't know what he was doing. Jesus didn't go into those details. But he speaks about this man who discovered a great treasure and accidentally in a field. And he wasn't, again, he wasn't looking for it, but he found it. And Jesus is saying, salvation is like that for some folks. That's what he's saying. Salvation is like that for some folks. It's like they accidentally bump into Jesus. They weren't looking for him. They weren't looking for him. They just accidentally bumped into him. My dad encountered Christ just that very way. He did. He, that's how he found Jesus. In that very manner when he was a young teenager. He wasn't raised to attend church. Grandpa and grandma. They didn't uh, take the family to church at all. And, uh, but there's one thing that my grandparents did do in my dad's life. He told me, he said, we didn't go to church. But I tell you what they did do. They taught me to respect God. They didn't know Jesus Christ themselves, but they taught me that there was a God in heaven and that you're supposed to respect him and be careful how you talk about him. Now, that's pretty cool. I mean, that's, some, that's really important information to have as a kid growing up, that to have a respect for God. My dad must have known that because he passed it on to me. Years before I became a Christian, I, was, I had this healthy respect for God, even though I didn't love him. Um, but my dad, anyway, uh, one evening, um, a friend of his, uh, he was a young teenager at the time, he said he invited me to this local gospel tent meeting. He and uh, he, uh, my, my friend and his mother, they, uh, we went to this, uh, this gospel tent meeting in town there. And uh, when the altar call, he said, I really can't remember what was preached or anything like that. But he said, when the altar call was given, I wasn't even thinking about going forward. But my friend said, hey, I think I want to go forward. Would you come up here with me? And my dad, who is, he's so funny, uh, he's not afraid of anything. He just said, sure, I'll go with you. And so he went up front and, uh, and knelt the altar and men gathered around him and, and prayed for him. And, and uh, 
uh, my dad said, you know, uh, uh, I don't know exactly what happened up there. I, I knelt down there. I, I just thought, I want to respect God. I know that's what we're supposed to be doing here, and I want to respect God, and I want to do what's right. And so as the men prayed for him, my dad told me, he said, uh, again, he didn't know really what exactly he was doing or what was happening, but he said, when I got up from the altar and I stepped outside, I went outside, and uh, my friend said, you know, I feel really different. And my dad said, you know what? I do too. What's ha what happened in there? And uh, my dad said, I, I, I sense something's happened to me. Um, something fresh and new inside. And again, although he really didn't know what had happened, he discovered the hidden, the hidden treasure in the field. He had bumped into Jesus, if you will, accidentally. Now, he needed to have more knowledge and he had to grow in that knowledge and God wanted him to grow in discipleship, of course, before he could really mature and, and understand exactly what that hidden treasure was. But back to Jesus' parable here. The man covered the treasure after he found it and then he sold all he possessed and bought the field. Now you might think, wasn't that dishonest? Wasn't that dishonest of him, Pastor? You know, he might think so. But according to Jewish law, if a man had lifted, if he had lifted the treasure out of the ground, then it would, be, it would have belonged to the owner of the field. But according to Jewish law, if, if he just saw it there and left it there, he could cover it up, go and buy the field, and come and it would, it would be his. So he didn't do anything illegal or unethical as far as Jewish law was concerned. But that point of Jesus' parable is this, is that, that this great salvation that he provides is a surprise discovery from, for some folks. It's just a surprise. But regardless, it costs you everything. A full surrender, you know, of all you have, all you are, has to be surrendered to God. Because that's what Jesus said. It cost the man everything to purchase the field. It cost him everything. But he wanted that treasure. And that's the way it is for salvation in our life. That's the way it is with Jesus. He's worth more than anything else in the world. And yes, you can have that understanding, that kind of motive when you come to him even as a little baby Christian or as a baby, a, a spiritually baby person, if you will. Jesus also taught in the very next verse, a couple verses, he said now, he said some folks, they're actually looking for purpose and meaning. They're actually looking for salvation. John Wesley was one of these. He didn't have it, but he was looking for it. And there, there's these longings within their soul that they seek and they seek after it like a treasure. Jesus, he illustrated this with about a, we're talking about a merchant who was on a passionate search for a very, the finest of pearls. And after an extended searching, he comes up, he find, comes up and finds one that is perfect. The best pearl of all. And he says he sells all that he has in order to secure this one perfect pearl of great price. And of course, the, great, the pearl of great price is Jesus himself. So, so uh, Jesus is saying once again, you, he sold everything. He, had to, he was looking for something that would satisfy him and, and the, the, the best pearl. And he found it and he had to 
You had to sell everything that he had. He had to give everything that he had to be able to possess it. Remember the song, um, All My Life Long, <clears throat> I had panted. In fact, I think I got up here doing it for you. Yes. Um, all my life long. You want to sing it with me? All my life long I had panted for a drink from some cool spring that I hoped would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within. Hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings through his blood I now am saved. And that second verse goes, Well of water, ever springing, bread of life so rich and free, untold wealth that never faileth, my Redeemer is to me. Amen. Yeah. Maybe sometimes there's even a combination of these two in our lives where, where we are, we're looking for some meaning and purpose in our life and we accidentally bumped in, bump into Jesus. I, there might be a combination there. But then we finally discover that he is the one. You know, we, we, we feel like we finally found him. We finally find, this is so neat. You know, I, 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 uh, when I first came to know Jesus, I thought, I, I found Christ. You know, and as I got older, I realized I found him because he first found me. And that's the way it is for all of us too. Because he first found us. Amen. But our salvation in Jesus, I, I give you those illustrations, because those parables of Jesus, because it is indeed so very rich, isn't it? There's no riches on earth that compare to the riches of our spiritual heritage in Jesus. And that's why Jesus warned us. He said, what possibly, uh, what possible profit could a man gain uh, by having all the riches of this world and yet uh, forfeit his own soul? Yeah, so we've seen from Scripture already and I'm going to do this real, real briefly, but we've seen from Scripture already that our spiritual inheritance comes from believing Jesus, on Jesus, with all of our hearts and again, surrendering our lives to Him. That, that first of all, our spiritual inheritance is that God gives us those full legal rights as His children. We, he adopts us into His family. And uh, second of all, He grants us uh, forgiveness. He grants us forgiveness and redemption and those things mean eternal life. That He gives us actually eternal life within. Our bodies don't have it yet, but our souls do. That invisible part of us does. And um, God, he, he transforms us from darkness into light, from sin into righteousness. He, he changes us within. And uh, in that, that's what part of our spiritual inheritance. And then, of course, we've talked about how there's this promise that we're going to have an eternal glorious body, too, with a perfected mind. And that's yet to come, but that's part of our spiritual inheritance. And, and that's going to come, of course, when... Um, we're going to be get, given that when Jesus returns, our bodies will never decay anymore, and Mom will have a new heart, and uh, and uh, you know when Jesus returns again, and and then we have this uh, we have this great inheritance, this guarantee by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. We because He's within us, Paul says, the Holy Spirit affirms that. The Word of God is true, and so, so we know because the Holy Spirit dwells in us that these really are our inheritances that are going to be ours. Um, well, we have the in, in eternal life now, and the, we're full legal children of God now, but we'll have the eternal bodies one of these days. Amen? Amen.
And this inheritance of ours will never, well, Peter says, it's never going to, it's never going to spoil, it's going to, ne- never going to perish, or it's never going to fade, and it's on reserve for us, and that, and that uh, God has a special place, a unique place for us in heaven, which we're going to talk about more about that in just a moment here. You know, uh, I think a couple weeks ago we talked about how that glorious city that John talks about coming down out of heaven, book of, book of Revelation, is actually a description of God's grace in our life. That it talks about the new Jerusalem, which is the bride of Christ. John said, I saw it coming down like a new city, and it was, it was a bride uh, adorned. Uh, and it was, there was, uh, it was, it's, uh, it's a bride, uh, bride for, for, for the bridegroom, for Jesus. And, and um, there's those descriptions of colors and those various descriptions of, of, um, of the gates and the streets and everything are descriptions of God's grace in our life and how God has straightened us out and made us overcomers and, and uh, purified us and cleansed us and it's beautiful. We're a radiant bride. Jesus, the Bible says, a radiant bride of Christ coming down out of heaven. So we talked about that. Queen Elizabeth, as you well know, um, she passed away here that last month. What was that? September 8th, I believe it was. Passed away after ruling the United Kingdom for 70 years. Uh, She's the longest ruling monarch of Britain. Um, I think the longest ruling monarch is somewhere like 92 years someplace. Uh, you can look at that list on YouTube. I mean, on, on, on Google if you want to. But uh, 70 years is a good long time. <laughs> and uh, she was, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, Queen Elizabeth was a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, she's on record for, uh, for saying that. On, uh, and uh, also you can, you can see her on video saying that, that she believed that she was accountable to God for how she lived her life personally and also for how she conducted her uh, business as queen. Uh, she believed that she would give an account to God someday. She testified frequently of her love for Jesus and how she treasured the Word of God. I, I saw one video of her where she, uh, she said she has found great comfort in the scriptures and, uh, and used them as a guide uh, for the conduct of her life. And uh, she, she began to reign, when she began to reign back in 1952, um, she had this clear understanding of whose crown it actually was that she was wearing. And I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago that uh, Billy Graham makes mention of this, that, that when the Archbishop of Canterbury, when he places the crown, when he placed the crown upon Queen Elizabeth's head back in 1952, these are the words that he, that he said. He said, I give thee, O gracious lady, this crown to wear until he who deserves the right to wear it shall return. Wow. I don't know if Britain still holds, you know, that was a different Britain than it is today, but is it no wonder that Queen Elizabeth had this, uh, she was a lady of integrity that she took those words quite seriously and she followed Jesus all of her life. Even though her family was quite a wreck at times, she stayed true to him. Before her death, uh, she was apparently chatting with her chaplain. And she said this. She said, I so wished to be alive when Jesus Christ returned. 
The chaplain asked her, why is that? And with a quivering lip and a tearful voice, the queen answered, I so wanted to lay my crown. At his feet. Well, we will do that with her one of these days. She'll still do that. But I just thought that was very powerful. Uh, what, a, what, a, what a goal in her life it is that she was looking forward to Jesus' return. That she could, uh, she could lay her crown. And of course, it's going to be more than just that crown. The, the, crown, the crowns God's going to give us in heaven are the rewards that he's going to give us. And we'll, we'll cast them at his feet because everything we have is because of him. <laughs> so he is worthy, isn't he? In John chapter 14... Jesus is talking again to some very discouraged disciples and he had just revealed to them again that at the Last Supper, like I mentioned before, that, that he was going to be betrayed, he was going to die, and even that his disciples would abandon him, that they were going to, uh, they were going to uh, flee from him like, uh, like sheep scattered from the shepherd. And so this experience that he had in chapter 13 uh, was so discouraging that Jesus was trying to... Um, encourage them the mood was so somber and that's why Jesus he begins by saying again let's read this let not your hearts be troubled you believe in God believe also in me for my father's house had many rooms and in the King James it says mansions there we'll talk about that in a minute but if that were not so would I have told you that I'm already going there to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am so that was the um, uh, it must have been that Jesus must have already told them that so he's repeating that to them so Jesus is trying to encourage us along with them to believe in him. And although he's going to be gone, and that's what he was telling the disciples, I'm not going to be with you like I am now. Physically, I won't be with you anymore like I have been the last three and a half years. But he goes on to tell them uh, further in John, he said, but the Holy Spirit will come and he will be my, uh, my presence in you and I will still be with you. Even though I won't be with you physically like I am now, I will be in your hearts in the presence, of, I mean, in the, in the, uh, from the Holy Spirit. So he was trying to encourage them there. Um, matter of fact, in John chapter 14, look at what he says. It's just beautiful. He said, if anyone loves me, if anyone, if, if, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home within him. Yeah. That Christ was saying, listen, I, I'm going away, but, but if you love the Father, don't worry, we're going to come and we're going to live inside you. Um, in the form of that encouragement, that promise um, is really of Jesus' continual presence with us. Amen? In the present age, as well as in the age to come. Once Jesus' bodily presence departs again from them, His presence is still going to be in them through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, that's the overall thrust of this passage. And, uh, but what is the specific encouragement, though, here of verse 2? Jesus said, In my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. So, again, you already have the Holy, you're going to have the Holy Spirit, but there's going to come a day I'm going to come back and I'm going to actually get you and you will be where I am. That's the great encouragement there of verse 2.
Jesus said, again, in my Father's house are many rooms. In the Jewish culture, um, uh, there would usually be about three generations living in one house. So in, in Father's house, if you will, there'd be about three generations living in one house. And when a daughter became betrothed to a suitor or to her fiancé, this is, this is how Jewish weddings or the Jewish, this is, would be what, what Joseph would have done uh, to, to Mary, is that you go and you talk to the father and, and um, um, you become betrothed to, the, to his daughter. And then the suitor then would, they would kind of, it'd be kind of like an engagement, but he would leave and he would go and prepare a home for them. And sometimes it might take a year, it might take, might, might take less. But the point is, is that he would be building a home and he would come back and then get his bride to take his bride to their new home. That's, that's a Jewish custom. That's the way Jewish weddings work. In fact, sometimes he would come unexpectedly. He'd be, she'd show up. And so she was always supposed to be ready. Ready to go at any time, at a moment's notice. And I think you can see that that relates to another parable in uh, Matthew 25, I believe it is. But um, that's, that's, Jesus probably has that in mind here as he is talking about going away and and uh, that his father's house has many rooms and he's preparing, he's preparing a place for the disciples. You know, I don't, you shouldn't think of, of, of Jesus returning to heaven and arriving there. You shouldn't think of it this way, that he said about constructing rooms, saying, okay, I'm going to make a room for David, I'm making a room for, make a room for Becky, make a room for Merlin and Luann. Yeah, I'm making all these rooms. He's not, he's not like building rooms in heaven. That's not what the... That's not what the meaning is of this, of this, of what Jesus is trying to convey to the disciples. He's not trying to, to um, say that. Um, like he's not been doing that for the last 2,000 years. Uh, not been doing that. But we need to recognize this, that what he was saying is that by his betrayal, by his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension, those things would create many rooms in my Father's house for you to be there with me. It's because of what Jesus has done that has made a way for us to be in God's presence. In fact, he says that in the very next verse, doesn't he? I didn't put it up there, but he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah, so he's not saying, I'm going to construct rooms for you. He's saying, he's saying there are a lot of rooms in, in my Father's house. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And I'm going there because I'm, when I die and provide your salvation through my re- resurrection, my ascension, that I provided you a pathway, a way to be in the Creator's presence. Amen. So there's great comfort in that passage. It's, again, it's not about having streets of gold or a beautiful mansion with a white picket fence and this exquisite garden. It's about the presence of God being with us. And in John 14, Jesus was telling the disciples that, again, he was making a way for them. He's making a way for them. And uh, that's the point. It's not a point about, I remember as a boy, when I was a boy, um, um, well, put it up here. It's because of Jesus, because of him, there's, there's room for you in the presence of God. When I was a boy, uh, there's a popular song. I don't hear it much anymore, but I still sing it to Becky once in a while because I, I, I me- memorized it. But it, was, uh, it said, I've got a mansion 
just over the hilltop. Remember that one? I got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old. I mean, I, it was, I love that song. But the word mansion, of course, most, I remember hearing the testimonies of people in that little church. They'd say, God's got a big building for me someplace in heaven. I, 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 hired, I have a shack here, but he's got a big building for me there. And, uh, and uh, it doesn't mean that. The word mansion in the king, is a King James word. And it's in the, if you go back to King James language, the, the, word meant, mainly, uh, the word actually means dwelling place or a room. And that's why it's translated, translated room. Mansions in the old King James English were, were rooms or like hotel rooms, like dwelling places for, for travelers. So there's no indication from this text that we're going to be all having individual mansions scattered out over the hills. It's something better than that. It's something better than that. It's not that. It's something better than that. Um, what kind of room is Jesus preparing for us? Well, the scripture doesn't exactly tell us what our dwelling place is going to look like. There's no description of heaven in the Bible. We, we don't know, you know. I kind of wonder this. And again, this is just my opinion, but I kind of wonder if there, our rooms will be different. I hope Becky and we, I hope we get to be next to one another with adjoining doors. I don't know. But, uh, um, you know, uh, we won't be husband and wife there, but I hope we still be, of course, we'll be friends. But um, I wonder if it's going to be reflective of the graces of God in our life. That's how it's going to be decorated. The way God's grace worked in your life. Through some of the dark periods in your life. Some of the beauties of Jesus on your wall. Reflective of our own personalities. You know, I, the reason I, I, I wonder that is, you know, the, the graces of how God shaped us into Christ-likeness and the image of His Son. The reason why I, I wonder that, and as we close here, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 17, Revelation chapter 3, verse 12, it's revealed there that, that we who belong to Jesus, to those who overcome this world, to those who overcome the devil in, in, in the Lord's name, that God's going to give us a new name in heaven. Um, my guess is there's only going to be one David there. It's probably going to be that Old Testament guy. But I'm going to probably get a, a, a new name. I won't be, I mean, they'll may, maybe know me as David there, the, the old name, but the new name will no doubt reflect how God's grace has worked in my life. Again, what's that going I don't know what that's going to look like, but... Um, your name will probably be, it'll be different there. Um, he's going to write, that word says there, he's going to write God's name on us. He's going to write the name of the new Jerusalem on us. He's going to give us a new name. And then he said, I'm going to also reveal to you then my new name as well, Jesus said. Names are a really big deal in heaven. Names are a big deal to God. Amen. So I just wonder if our rooms will be reflective of what God has done in life. And we don't know what they'll look like, but, but there's one word that does describe what they will be. And it's this one right here. Oh. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. It's not about having a great big mansion with, gold, with golden stairways. It's about, you're going to be home with me <laughs> where I am. You're going to be with me. Just like 
in Genesis. It's kind of going, going back to Eden where God used to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. I mean, it was, it was intimate fellowship there in the, in the presence of God. Happy fellowship. Uh, I don't know all the details, but it's going to be glorious because Jesus is preparing it and uh, has prepared it, really. It is prepared. It's on reserve waiting for us. That's what Peter says. It's on reserve waiting for us. And Christ is giving us the greatest gift imaginable, himself. Himself. Well, loved ones, the entire purpose of this gospel that God, uh, is that God might dwell with you and among us again. And that's why the Bible says that God's dwelling, God's presence will dwell with us again. And we'll see him as he is face to face. And it'll be different. It'll be, it'll just be so amazing. And the entire reason why he saves us and forgives us, redeems us, is uh, giving us this in spiritual inheritance is for this. And please remember this as we close. This is it. The reason he saves us, the reason why he's forgiven us, the reason why he has made us, made himself so important in our life is to show us to value nothing, absolutely nothing, and I say it again, absolutely nothing more than being at home with him. Value nothing in this world. That's what this is about. Value nothing in this world more importantly than being at home with Him. Do anything you have to do. Buy the field with all you've got. Buy the pearl with everything you have because there's nothing on this world that is more important than what is in heaven waiting for you in Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I come, I come back and you're going to be with me. And then who knows what all he'll have us doing, all the wonders that he'll, he'll be showing to us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, today I pray that as we have uh, allowed your spirit to speak to us, and as we have opened our hearts to you, Lord, I thank you that you have been so kind to us today and showing us, encouraging us with what our spiritual inheritance is. Father, I, I ask, Lord, today that if your spirit has been speaking today to anyone, that needing to make sure that, that they value nothing more uh, in their life uh, as important as Jesus, I pray that, Lord, that you would, you would speak to their heart about that. And, Lord, you will help them to, uh, to bow before you. Uh, to give everything to buy the field, to give everything to buy that pearl of great price. Lord, I pray that they will really see how important it is. It's more important, Lord, than work that we do here on earth. It's more important, Lord, than our families. It's more important than our jobs. It's more important, Lord, than anything else that we could possibly uh, encounter in this world is making sure that you are our first and only love. Lord, on that top spot in our life. We have a lot of other spots that we love people, Lord. And, but that top spot must be you. Help us not to see it, Lord, as a great sacrifice. Oh, but what a great privilege. What a great treasure and joy to have you in our life. We love you and 
thank you. Pray that you would speak to our hearts your truth throughout this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's stand up together, and I hope that you were encouraged today, and the Lord bless you, and uh, encourage someone as, they, as you leave today, please.